This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Welcome to a very special episode of Body Talk. Recently, I was in Philadelphia for the 2022 Experimental Biology Conference, which sounds a little like, what are they exactly doing there? But it was a conclave of a number of different professional organizations, including the Anatomy Association of America. And I saw a wonderful presentation on the interstitium and on fascia. And when that was all over, I got to sit down with the presenters. So what you're going to hear is a roundtable discussion, including a, a listener question as well, with Helen Langevin uh, of the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, which is part of the NIH, researcher and friend of the show, Neil Thies, and Antonio Stecco, who was beaming in literally his flight got canceled. So he came in uh, via phone. So you're going to hear him talking through WhatsApp through a phone into the microphone and uh, Lori Nemitz and Rebecca Pratt. Uh, and it just, it was a wonderful, wonderful morning from start to finish. And uh, why waste any more time? But hey, real quick, uh, the audio quality is going to be a little bit different than what you're used to on this show. It's very clear, but it's very quiet. So you're going to have to pot the, uh, as they say, um, no, don't smoke it. Uh, so you're going to have to turn the volume up a little bit. But trust me, myself and my two audio engineers, meaning my two ears, uh, we really worked to make sure that the levels were pretty consistent all the way through. So if you crank it up, you're not going to get a surprise in your earbuds that you don't want. So with that said, let's get rolling to this episode of Body Talk Inner Inquiries with Helen, Antonio, Neil, Lori, and Rebecca starting right now. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Body Talk. I'm David Lasondak, and I am so happy to be here at the 2022 Experimental Biology Conference with a, uh, a quantum, no, that's not quite the right word, a quadrangle of amazing people. And I am talking about Rebecca Pratt from the Fascial Research Society and Lori Nemitz, who helped facilitate a discussion here for the Anatomical Association, Appreciation Association. Did I get that right? American Association for Anatomy. I was going to say American, but I'm, I'm trying to be global here. The American Association for Anatomy, uh, where they presented a mind-blowing uh, talk on the interstitium fascia in the etiology of pain. And joining us today is Dr. Antonio Stecco from the Department of Rehabilitation Medicine at New York University. He's joining us remotely because he's stuck in Frankfurt, but he's he's a trooper and he's here on the phone. Uh, we've got Dr. Neil Thies from the New York School of Medicine and Helen Langevin, Director of the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health at the NIH. Neil, Helen, Lori, Antonio, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being here. So this was this was really exciting to see everybody so energized and engaged uh, by this talk. And for those of you who uh, weren't here, which is a lot of people listening right now, I'd like to ask each one of you to start. What was the most exciting 
point that you wanted to get across in your section of the talk today. Helen, we'll start with you. Well, first of all, I want everybody to know how much fun it was to be here. <laughs> <laughs> we did have fun. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> to me, that's the biggest take home that I'm getting from this whole experience is that we had a wonderful discussion following the symposium itself, which would not have happened on Zoom. No. So this is just an aside. Um, the second thing is I found such wonderful, uh, it was like putting a puzzle together. The uh, Antonio's talk, you know, talking about the uh, you know, molecular structure and the water and, the, and touching on the biomechanics and relating this to pain. And, and then Neil coming in with, with this wonderful concept of the interstitium that docks into the concept of fascia in a, in, a, in a wonderful way. And, you know, his perspective from a pathology uh, perspective was just absolutely fascinating. And then I'm sitting there from the point of view of uh, connective tissue, biomechanics, but the cellular angle to this and also uh, and, and relating this to pain. I, I really felt that every piece of this fit really beautifully together. So I think there, you know, we need to somehow get a synthesis on this uh, at some point. Yeah, and that was the buzz from a few of the attendants that I was speaking to after the conference. Uh, this one clinical anatomist, physical medicine guy saying, wow, I never thought about cellular mechanisms before. This was like totally just blew my world wide open. And everybody kind of came in with their own piece of that, and they all left with a much bigger piece of the pie. So that was that was really great. Neil, what was your big? All of that. I mean, it, I, the, the way it's just so much fun to sketch out a map of something with a bunch of people, all of whom <laughs> have their own particular pieces, but to find out that the pieces are fitting together, um, and constantly when I since I stumbled into this area the question of words and names and terminology keeps coming up, but the more we rub up against each other, we're starting to see that, oh, no one's stake actually matters as much as just smoothing it out into a way that we can all understand each other. And it's happening. Think meetings like this, and particularly in person, um, we're going to find our way through this, and it doesn't have to be forced. It can be stoked a little bit, but we're going to find our way through it and create a new language to describe things. If you can't, if you don't have a language for it, you can't study it, you can't talk about it. Right, you can't measure it. No. Um, and this feels like it's a historic sort of process we're engaged in. I'd agree. Antonio? Well, from my perspective, I can say that, uh, I mean, this particular Congress, uh, I was uh, already a long time ago presenting this idea about hyaluronic, it is a great occasion because, uh, I mean, biology, they try to give us information from their perspective to the clinician. And clinicians are looking for, seek for uh, explanation of what they see in office. But uh, if we don't merge, if we don't try to get a Congress uh, where all are in the same uh, room, uh, you know, everybody tries to look in a different direction. So, I mean, be able to talk to explain this concept to a biologist, uh, give us like the, the clue to how we should proceed to research uh, and what information we can collect to help them to make a basic science research. So I really believe that, uh, I mean, my facial pain is still a chimera, it's still uh, something that has to be 
understood better in detail yes. but uh, biologists uh, i mean are the one that can help us most if we can give them uh, the correct information to uh, you know set up the research that we're looking for yeah i, I was listening to you i was thinking it's almost as if we need to have like it happened very organically and wonderfully here this uh, this morning but we we need to have almost an intellectual hyaluronin so that we can have these smoother conversations with each other and not be quite so territorial. That's a goal I know in another group I'm involved with. Helen, you'll be one of the keynote speakers there in May, which is the International Consortium of Manual Therapies. And that's what we're trying to do as manual therapists, to say, well, there's push and there's pull and there's twist and there's stretch. And why do we make up all these different names? Can we kind of make that work better? So I, it's nice to see this happening on multiple fronts moving forward. But, but getting back to the hyaluronin, did I hear correctly today that the lymphatics have hyaluronin receptors? Yes. What does that mean? That, like, freaked me out. It freaks me out. <laughs> um, I, I don't, Antonio, are you aware of Live One as an endothelial, uh, a lymphatic endothelial marker, and that it is also an HA receptor? Uh, not really. Okay. <laughs> you are now. Yeah. So, so uh, clinically, uh, in pathology, if we want to highlight lymphatics, we typically stain for protoplanin, also known as D240. And this is important when you're looking for a lymphatic invasion of malignant tumors. Um, you see tumor cells in a space. Is that a lymphatic um, or is it just an artifact from processing the tissue? Um, but another one is LIVE1, which is lymphatic vascular endothelial 1. And it's related to the CD44 um, uh, class of molecules, which are HA receptors. So I don't know why it's there. Um, it, but what intrigues me is that lymphatics do not have hyaluronic acid within their spaces that's easily stainable. It certainly is not stable. But, and we know that the hyaluronic acid is creating um, some sort of filtration effect so that the fluid that flows through the HA to become lymph is getting filtered in some fashion by the HA. And what comes, the filtrate that comes out the other side is lymph. But you can imagine, one can imagine, that at that interface, hyaluronic acid must be breaking off um, or fragmenting and then flowing into the lymphatics where it would bind to those endothelial cells. As far as I can tell, it's not well understood what happens within the endothelial cells when HA binds to the live one. But something is happening that's interesting at that interface. And I'm thinking about how bacteria spread through the interstitial spaces when you think of necrotizing fasciitis, where mm -hmm. classically bacteria is spreading across tissue planes to distant sites in the body. When you look at the bacteria that cause necrotizing fasciitis, 80% um, of them produce hyaluronidase. We know invading tumor cells often produce hyaluronidase. So bacteria in the space, malignant cells in the space are breaking down HA. That must be flowing into the lymphatics and binding to those cells. 
So what's that doing? Is there an inflammation thing going on there? Is it a lymphatic drainage thing going on? So it's a big puzzle, but really intriguing. Antonio, anything you want to speculate on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was curious as well when I, I talked at the beginning, I, I made a research about the different hyaluronic days that are present. Of course, we find out that the bacteria, the stronger hyaluronic days uh, that are, are present, the ones that we have that our body is producing are not as strong as the one of the bacteria. It makes sense because bacteria have to try to spread out the infection through all the barrier of the subcutis. But the question that I still have is why this hyaluronic taste that we have is not working, for instance, to decrease this accumulation of hyaluronic that can happen that we saw with MRI. So the question that I still have is why it's not so effective the humor hyaluronic day that we have uh, that is normally it's, it's like three if it's not wrong and uh, and so why it happened that uh, with mri we can see this kind of uh, accumulation of this molecule in specific uh, compartment that can be you know the interstitium and then the interface between layer so this is what i'm i'm still you know trouble and trouble to understand clear understood and uh, I would like to have like more, you know, explanation maybe in the next future. Okay, Helen, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Or I had a question. Okay. For you, uh, Antonio. So when you do your manual therapy, and you see mm -hmm. a, re a reduction in the hyaluronic acid um, in your MRI, or at least in your T1 row, uh, you know, uh, intensity, do you think there? That could be because somehow there's a release or an activation of hyaluronidase, or, or is that is that something you've looked at? So that's interesting. So um, so we have done uh, two experiments. We have done with mechanically, and we have done with the, the enzyme with the human recombinant hyaluronidase. So when we have applied human recombinant hyaluronidase, the, the commercial name is Hylinex, in the spastic patient. We clearly saw a decrease of, again, of the unbound water. So, uh, of the, so it means that the, we basically we were able to, in some way, disaggregate the hyaluronan and uh, make sure that uh, we were able to get uh, more water attached with the hyaluronan. So. Uh, of course, we have to underline that the T1 row is an indirect way to understand what is aggregated with what. So if the water is free or if it's aggregated. Um, so with the, the experimental, with the enzyme, we understood that uh, what uh, changed is really the concentration of hyaluronan because hyaluronan was cut down in fragment and washed out, basically. When we did uh, with the manual therapy, uh, we cannot say uh, prove that we change the quantity of the hyaluronan, but probably the quality because uh, the change in the signal of the T1 roll is probably related to uh, a change of the amount of hyaluronan bind, uh, a change of water bind by hyaluronan. So, I mean, we are still struggling to understand exactly if, uh, I mean, the full picture is explained by just the connection between water and hyaluronan. 
it seems that the protoglycan are not the key element of this picture. Uh, but I mean, we have to investigate more to have a clear data and you know support this thesis. Can you so, Antonio? Did you hear our talks? Were you able to hear? He wasn't able to hear the whole hear. thing. So, right. Antonio, you must be aware of the work of Rolf Reed, right? Rolf Reed uh, in Nor Norway about the the extracellular matrix uh, kind of constraint, uh, cellular constraint of extracellular matrix, and then when you, um, I, so in, in any case, I think this is quite relevant because that's what I was talking about in terms of the the, uh, the mesh, the, the, the connective tissue mesh or the matrix pores. And um, what Rolf Reed showed is that when you uh, give either integrant blockers or, cyto uh, or inflammatory cytokines, the fibroblasts let go of their connections to the collagen matrix, and that exposes more negative charges on the, uh, I guess, whatever, you know, glycosaminoglycans or hyaluronic acid or whatever, and it allows more water to come in and bind to them. So this could be a mechanism of your manual therapy, right? If it, instead of the inflammatory substances, it's just a mechanical stretch pulling on this matrix and opening up the, the pores and, and, and exposing more binding sites. Does, does that make sense to you? Well, uh, it's the first time that I hear this. I'm following. I, didn't, I mean, I make a review, but I didn't find out that article. I'll find but, the paper uh, and send it to you. Uh, but uh, yes, for my perspective, it makes perfect sense. And uh, what I want to underline that uh, for sometimes the people confusion so it's not the quantity but it's quality in fact it's not a question of uh, yeah. how much hyaluronic you have yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the, in what stage it has it, again it's not the question of how much water you have but what stage the water is so um, I mean that, that research uh, I will love to 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 you know to read in detail because uh, uh, it seems that they can explain a lot of it's our findings, and um, and of course it will be even more interesting to understand exactly you know, more in yeah. detail. We maybe try to bring in our rough data because with the MRI we have a lot of rough data that has to be analyzed because there is two passages that has to be. I won't say interpret it. So, I mean, with that background and our data, I believe that we can give a, you know, a better explanation of what we, we saw with the MRI. That would be great. Okay. Now, Helen, before we move on, uh, is that paper by Rolf Reed, is that the one that was in the conference proceedings from 2012 or a different one? I remember that one. Yes, that I remember that one very well. Nobody understood what he said. I, I remember nobody understanding it, and he was the only presenter who said, you may not videotape my presentation. Yes. So I couldn't even go back and look at it again. I know. I know. <laughs> and, and so, it, yeah, but that's the thing. That's the guy. Before we move off uh, from higher ground in the interstitium, I heard you say, Neil, that the interstitium is pre-lymphatic? Yes. Okay, so... What would, given your knowledge, would you say is the relationship between the interstitium and the lymphatic system? So anatomically, um, the interstitial space is not the, at the level of um, 
pericapillary or perimascular spaces within tissues. Um, and now also the, the spaces of the scale that we were reporting that we could see by in vivo microscopy. Uh, the lymphangioles, sort of the lymphatic capillaries, um, are different from the vascular supply. So all capillaries have an arterial they're deriving from and wind up draining into a vein. So it's always a continuous network. The lymphangioles, they start as an open mouth tube um, that interfaces with these interstitial spaces, both the perivascular or pericapillary spaces, which are five to 10 microns, 15 microns across. Um, those are the regions around capillaries in which um, nutrients get into tissues and waste products are taken out. And those capillaries are where largely the fluid derives, um, filling the interstitial. Um, that fluid then processes through the hyaluronic acid-filled spaces um, and drains into the lymphangioles, um, which do not contain hyaluronic acid. And so if you're really, really lucky, I mean, most tissue sections and you stain for lymphatic and for vascular endothelial cells with discriminating markers, you just see little circles or ovals because you're getting a cross-section of the tube. But if you're really lucky and look at enough sections, which we've been doing, you will occasionally see a, a longitudinal section through a lymphatic. And then what it looks like is these two lines on either side coming to an end, and it doesn't close into a loop. And, um, and that's where the lymph enters the lymphatic system. Mm -hmm. I know we're going to kind of run out of time here shortly because we're recording in a live event and there's room changes and things that need to happen. But before we end, and I want to ask all of you this who are sitting here because we were kind of talking around it and after the formal presentation as well. But what's the one thing that you'd like to see happen or change that would move all of this forward uh, in in the direction that we all want it to go. And we can just start with you on the left, Helen, and move around. Well, I think we've all been dancing around this terminology question. I think we, we need to have a, a summit or something, right, to take, about, to take all of these various points of view into consideration and, and really have a dialogue as to, you know, what is the best way to synthesize, I think, um, a lot of the, um, the the different pieces of this puzzle and come up with terms that work for everyone? Um, so I would say that would be a very constructive uh, step. I'm in complete agreement. What, what do you think is the biggest barrier to constructing that nomenclature? Is it just the tendency to not like change? I think it's really having people hear each other out and and just mm -hmm. and I think that hasn't really happened right um, we had the, the classic anatomy uh, side and then we had the, the 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 fascia world you know and then now we have this wonderful pathology world of, of interstitium and then uh, I think we we just need to we just need to, to talk. I, I just going to say that to me the biggest mm -hmm. barrier is generally hubris. Yeah, yeah, there you go. And, and any interdisciplinary activity in any range of fields, when you bring people together, the first thing is they have to be patient enough and open enough to listen to other people express things in their language 
and be willing to learn that language. And then when everyone in a room has learned each other's languages, you start to find the ways mm -hmm. things can shift and shape each other. So maybe we need to uh, set it up like a combination UN meeting and like ethnic village thing where we go and learn each other's customs and costumes and things. That's the, there's, there's actually a whole literature on interdisciplinary communication mm -hmm. and much of it is about precisely that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it works. And, and recognizing that everybody is bringing something valuable to this. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it's not right or wrong. It's it's really you know let's let's just combine our our expertises and come up with a a, a schema that includes. Antonio, anything you want to add to this conversation? An area of research you think would be the most fruitful way to look, or something that would help bring us more together? Uh, well, if I can give me my uh, my opinion, yeah, I'm, I'm fully agree with the Elena uh, about uh, the importance of nomenclature. Uh, I really hope that can be done as soon as possible. We, there's Fascia Congress coming up, uh, and I really hope that uh, we have enough knowledge, enough you know, uh, time since the beginning of Fascia society to make it happen, because that is the, the basic language that we have to use to make the people aware about what is Fascia and what is not Fascia. But personally, I really hope to see as soon as possible a way that the imaging can be mechanical to make diagnosis of myofascial mm. pain uh, mm -hmm. as soon as possible. I mean, I'm seeing too many patients that uh, they they reach us as a last resort. I mean, they, they still like... A That's 90% of mine, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not that. Uh, maybe, maybe it would be myofascial pain. But it is a disaster because there is so many patients that are, are looking for, you know, treatment and solution and they, and they just stay in pain for so long because they are not able to get the correct diagnosis as soon as possible. So this is what we are looking for. Well, and I can add to that that uh, I held a workshop that, uh, on, my, on quantitative imaging of myofascial tissues last uh, fall. And uh, actually, was last fall? When was it, Antonio? You were, part, you were there. <laughs> was it last September or two Septembers ago? I can't remember. No, it was two Septembers ago, right? right. And then since then, right. we've issued a request for applications for developing quantitative methods uh, to image and quantify pathologies in myofascial tissues. Applications are in. We should be releasing uh, awards uh, it, it, during the summer, or late summer, or early fall. And this was part of the NIH HEAL initiative. And this is really important because we're bringing myofascial pain in the mainstream of pain research. And so that what you're what you're you're saying, Antonio, is, is very true. We, we really need better tools to quantify the myofascial tissues, and we're definitely working on that at NIH very hard. Um, yeah, but the nomenclature piece, this is something where I think all of these societies can do something really important here. And I, I just want to add into that too. I think that's part of the reason Rebecca and I came into co-chairing this together and wanted to bring all of you guys together to an audience we knew needed to hear this, um, but also to be able to translate in that way that would get respected. Um, again, conversation is so much part of this. It's great to have all these lovely ideas in separate places, but if we don't get it across to each other, nothing happens. And as we kept saying, the wonder of this was being able to see each other, be with each other, 
and all of that. Antonio <laughs> Antonio just turned into a church. <laughs> Antonio, it's very interesting there in Germany. <laughs> oh. Sorry, guys. No problem. Can I ask Rebecca a question? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. So I'd like to hear you for the podcast talk about how you see that interfacing with education. Yes, that is definitely my big uh, hope is to get um, what has been classically removed from the medical terminology and the world of, um, yeah, medical education getting it back into the dialogue so that students are starting early on in their uh, training to recognize the continuity of the body and that the body is a whole and that there's communication between these spaces because I think with that understanding um, yeah uh, metastatic cancer becomes easier for a student to understand the biochemistry becomes more recognizable because they're like, oh, this is why I'm memorizing PI3 kinase, and this is where the MAP kinase is happening, and I, I never really had a spot where I could put all of this into the body. I just was this nebulous stuff I memorized for an exam. And then it comes into the connective tissue world of, of uh, neuro. It should be absolutely there as the epicenter um, of neuro teaching as well. And so my goal is really to Start small, I know I need to keep myself from, from going too crazy, but get, get the word continuum, continuity, thinking the body as a whole, getting that concept as day one, and then slowly but surely recognizing that the tissue that we've constantly placed in a throwaway bag is really the secret to unlocking so much of how we are as humans. Fantastic. Okay, that's a great place to leave it. Helen, Rebecca, Neil, Antonio, Laurie, thank you all for being here today and what's already been a long morning, making some time to sit here and talk about this. Uh, I'm inspired, all this talk about communication. Duolingo's worldwide corporate offices are in Pittsburgh, so maybe they could help us all learn to talk to each other. This is David Losondek for Body Talk. See you next time. And speaking of learning how to talk to each other and communicate better and get on the same page, I just want to remind you that the window for joining the International Consortium on Manual Therapies, so whatever type of manual therapy you practice, you have a home here. Uh, the conference starts on the 5th of May. It's virtual, leveraging a new platform called GatherTown. And this coming Friday the 22nd of April uh, is the last time you can get in for $3.99 for the whole conference. After that, the price is going to go up. So you need to go to icmtconference.org and sign up now. We are dedicated to building a long-term robust organization where all of us in the various manual therapy disciplines do exactly what you heard Helen, Neil, and the rest talk about, which is learning how to work together better, learning how to develop, or actually not learning how, but developing a common language so that we can get better results, communicate better to our patients and clients, and get better research done because it's all about standards when it comes to that. So if this is the sort of thing that floats your boat, it floats mine, go to icmtconference.org and sign up today. Thank you for listening to Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. 
we appreciate all the support that you can give to the show. Go to Apple, leave a review, leave five stars, leave a narrative review wherever you can rate podcasts. It really helps make a difference. Or if you like, you can also go to our Patreon page and become a patron of the show for as little as $3 a month. Patreon.com slash Body Talk Radio. And share the show with your friends. Share it with your colleagues. Share it with your clients and patients. We really appreciate all the support. You can email me at bodytalkdavid at gmail.com. I always welcome suggestions for guests. I welcome your questions. It all helps the community come together. And I'll see you next time. Well, you'll hear me next time on Body Talk.